So I have a big confession to make. This entire sermon I'm going to do is based on a bumper sticker. <laughs> and I'm not proud of it, but, uh, but here goes. So the bumper sticker, and you know how often they work, like the bumper sticker has big print, and then if you sort of tailgate, you can kind of read the rest of it? So it was like the things that really count, and then if you kind of get close enough, you see it says, aren't things at all. And it really got me to thinking about what we're grateful for and what's important in our lives. And I even did a, a little meditation that I want to share with you. And, and in fact, those of you on Sunday know often I assigned homework. And if I was going to have anyone do any homework this week other than just enjoying their family and, and food and maybe a little TV or shopping, it would be to do this little piece of homework that I did this week. And that was simply, as best I could, going back into my earliest memory right up until the present, think of every person that I have ever known and just feel their loving presence in my life for a minute. So I went back in time and some of my earliest memories, in fact, I, I'm tearing up a little bit, one of my very first memories, other than my mom and my dad, actually were our family dog and that big sloppy way that he would kiss me. And I just held him in my, my mind's eye and, and, and kind of felt that as he was, I remember still, I think I was maybe three years old, one of my earliest memories, and he's stealing a cookie from me. <laughs> a little, little tug of war going on there. And then I expanded that time frame to start thinking about some of the children in, in my neighborhood that were with me, the, the Colson girls that lived next door, and my best friend Murph that lived down the street. Yes, the poor fellow. Really, his family name was Murph, the poor guy. But the fun we had at such an early age, just playing in our yards. And then I you know, moved it up a little more and started incorporating some of the family friends and some of the cousins and, and, and things like that. And then up until school time, and I remember my first grade teacher, oh my gosh, I was probably a handful in first grade. Uh, but she was so kind and so sweet. And just the whole idea of education just blossoming for me was, uh, was stupendous. And, and she was like a, a major hero in my life. And then I got to second grade, and there was Mrs. Byerly. And I had a little trouble. She is the first person that I remember that I sort of disliked from the moment that I met her. <laughs> and I remember thinking, what a cold and uncaring person. And I, part of it was the contrast from first grade to second grade. And at that age, I sort of didn't even have the right words for it. I remember coming home after a few days of second grade, and my mom would say, why are you so dejected? What's going on? And I would say it was Mrs. Byerly. <laughs> and I would try to explain, but I kind of didn't have the words for it. She just didn't seem like a very kind person to me. And so in my little meditation the other day, I was trying to think, do I need to be uh, grateful for this too? And it reminded me of tonight's joke. So let's do tonight's joke. Minor interruption, and then I'll get back to Mrs. Byerly. So young Anne was finally old enough to say grace. She was so excited that her mom agreed to give her the blessing for Thanksgiving. Well, Anne was a little bit worried ahead of time, but her mom reminded her if she got stuck... She just had to look around the table. She could give thanks for the people there. She could give thanks for the dishes on the table. That really, if she got stuck, just look around. It'll be fine. 
Well, Anne started out, God bless this Thanksgiving proudly. And then she went around the table and she thanked all the relatives for being there and some of the dishes they had brought. It was very sweet. But she did a little bit get stuck, so not what, sure what should come next. She remembered what her mom said. And so she began blessing the, 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 the food, one end of the table down to the other. So she was grateful for the pies. She was grateful for the turkey. She was grateful for the dressing. And then she got stuck on the Brussels sprouts. She said, I'm grateful for the br- br- br-. Well, her mom said, Anne, they're Brussels sprouts. And Anne said, I know what they are. I just don't feel like I should be lying at Thanksgiving. (laughs) And I guess that's where I was with Mrs. Byerly a couple days ago when I was doing this meditation. I mean, ideally, I'd be grateful for my entire life, right? Not just the people that on the surface seemed fun. Not just the people on the surface that seemed easy to love. And don't we all have people in our lives from time to time that are shall we say, more difficult to love. You know, sometimes they become our ex-wives and husbands. (laughs) Sometimes they become co-workers that, you know, we're kind of glad the cubicle walls are higher on that side. You know, we just run across people that for whatever reason seem a little more difficult to be grateful for. But then I had a bit of an epiphany. And what I remember about Mrs. Byerly too is that she really taught me to stand up for myself. She really taught me that even in my own little boy truth, I could request to be retreated in a certain way. She reminded me that that though there may be rules in any given situation, she was a real rule hound, if you know what I mean, around the library and all kinds of things. Uh, But nonetheless, there was a kind of structure I learned from her. And although I might make my own life not that (laughs) rule-based, it was good to understand that because the world is full of rules. And so I began thinking about it. Well, you know, maybe I don't exactly love Mrs. Byerly, but I sure can be grateful for some of the things that allowed me to be who I am today. And that was almost the magical phrase because then the rest of the exercise went really easy. And when I stumbled across some of those ex-boyfriends, when I stumbled across some of those bosses I had that were frankly kind of jerk-like, I thought to myself, yeah, and I'm here right now. And I wouldn't probably be here if it weren't for those exact experiences, those people, everything that got me to be here right in this moment, somehow I can be grateful for. And so the things that really count, people, and I would say also situations. Not so much the typical things. I mean, things pretty much come and go. But my memory of situations, my memory of connections with and without people occurred to me would be another way to do that bumper sticker. And let me give you an example because I think situations are more about what we see on the inside rather than what goes out on the outside. So how many people here have like brothers and sisters or or did you grow up with Thanksgivings and holidays at least with other kids kind of your age? 
All right, well, I want to tell you a Thanksgiving story from my house. So I was about nine, and my cousins, uh, Alan was 10, and Leslie was 11, and Peter was 12. So we were all kind of lined up. And it was my uh, cousins and, well, the family's uh, behavior to be together on Thanksgiving. Always a lot of fun, always a lot of food. Only for some reason, all of us boys decided we hated Leslie that year. And, of course, being 9 and 10 and 12, um, we weren't as kind, maybe, as you might think of me today. And so we discovered uh, that one of the things we could make Leslie do was kind of laugh on command. We could make funny little faces and it would make her laugh. And I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed about this story a little bit. But we waited until Thanksgiving and um, she had her mouth full of a glass of milk and um, Alan made this face and the milk like went all over. Now the reason I tell this story is all of us were there, right? Leslie was there, Alan was there, even my mom was there. And you know what? And years later, everybody but one person remembers that as one of their favorite Thanksgivings. Everybody but one person. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so what I think is so interesting is, it's not even what we make of other people. It's not even, or excuse me, it's not the fact of other people, and it's not the fact of what's going on. So much of what we hold dear to us and as important is our reaction to it. It's our interaction with people, not just the people. It's how we perceive what's going on and what's shared, not just the thing of it, not just the people of it. And so what I, in the end, finally decided about this whole bumper sticker business was that really what's important in my life are the shared experiences. And so I want to share one more experience from my life that I think really highlights the, the nugget, if you will, or the, or the what's true about what's important in my life. And so, um, I guess it's about 15 years ago, uh, my mom talked me into taking her to, to Disneyland in California. And uh, uh, she had just moved into a retirement home up here in Portland. And uh, she had not been to Disneyland since I was like two years. I mean, I never even remembered this trip. But apparently when I was two, she and my father took me to, to Disneyland and how much she thought it was fun. And she would like to go again. And so I made the reservations and I knew that her mobility wasn't what it used to be. So I arranged for some wheelchairs and, you know, it was all set up. What I didn't really realize was really my mom couldn't walk anymore. And so part of the trip was kind of shock on my part of just uh, how unable she was to get around. But, you know, this was going to be a nice trip anyway. And, and so we had a wheelchair uh, with us and, uh, and things were going well. We, and we got to Disneyland and I thought, well, how is she sort of going to enjoy this very much too? But, you know, I really hadn't need, need to worry that much about it because... Because for her, it was just sort of being there with me. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it sounds silly in a way, but just being there, it was a, it was a, a beautiful afternoon in the early fall. The sun was out. Um, you know, they do their parades on the hour, and flowers were blooming, and, uh, 
And she just said, you know, I just want to sit, you know, in my chair under a tree and kind of watch what's going on and do some people watching. And, you know, if you want to go on some rides and stuff, that's cool. I'll be right here. But I sort of didn't want to. I really just wanted to hang out and have an amazing, quiet, peaceful day with my mom. And um, I remember... uh, you know, we did some silly things in terms of food and some exhibits and things like that. I remember she talked me into taking her into the hall of the animatronic presidents and uh, some of the other sort of corny stuff that she enjoyed. And uh, But a lot of it, too, was just kind of reliving our past and things that we remembered um, from growing up and being together and things like that. So she did, though, have kind of a dream, which I thought we were going to be stymied on. She wanted to ride on the train. She remembered how fun that was. Trouble is, at Disneyland, the train, I mean, the station, there's no elevator, and it's like up like a flight and a half of steps. But I'm looking at my Disneyland map, and I'm realizing that I think if somehow we can get over to this place called Frontierland, that there's another rail station there that's more on the flat. So, you know, we go halfway across the park, and there we are. And, and so she got to ride on the train, and uh, it was getting near closing time, and, and so we were going to have to make another loop to get all the way back to Frontierland and, uh, and then back through the park again. And she was really kind of tired. So I asked the conductor, I said, like, this is the only place we could do wheelchairs? So he got on his radio set and, like, phoned somebody and talked for a minute. He said, I think we can take care of this. So we come into the main station, and there are 10 guys and this gear for, like, rescuing people. (laughs) And my mom got a thrilling ride from the train (laughs) down. And her eyes lit up, and I swear, you know, she was both on the Tower of Terror and Dumbo at the same time. You know, it was was great fun. But, But I remember that trip in my memory as one of... Truly the highlights of my life. One of the most important things in my life. And nothing special happened that day. Nothing untoward uh, or glorious or, or much more than just my mom and I sharing some sadness, some sweetness, some love. And so for me, the things that really count, it's true, they're not things And they're not even always people, because we can always experience people in different ways. But when we share an experience with someone we love, it exists forever in our hearts. When we share a a meal with friends and family at Thanksgiving, when we take a moment and really listen to someone that, that maybe we've taken for granted for a while, when we really commit the time and attention and love to someone that matters. It's there for always. I want to close my talk today with something from Ernest Holmes. Um, Some of you may know he actually had a radio program back in the the 40s and 50s. And uh, this is a radio part of it. I edited it down. Part of a radio address he did on Thanksgiving in 1949. He said, recently I read of an experiment that two ladies made with a couple of rose bushes. Each day they blessed and praised one of those bushes, specializing on it alone. And in a few months, that rose bush, the one that was daily blessed, responded with a lavish blossoming. It far exceeded that of the other one. Now, 
I put to you, suppose we apply this principle to everything that we are doing, to people, to situations, to our daily living. It really is a wonderful thing to bless, to bless our meals, to bless each other, to bless friendship. Take time each day to say, I bless each member of my family. I bless my husband. I bless my wife. I praise my children. I bless everything that they are doing. Bless the gifts that you make to people. Bless the friends that you have. And don't forget to pray the prayer of blessing for this great and wonderful country of ours. Bless our leaders and pray for everyone in places of public responsibility. Bless the faith that is yours. And it will grow. It will bloom like that rose bush. Bless the unused talents that you possess and new ways of doing that will come into your experience with the seasons. And be sure that you don't make a drudgery of this. Let it be a song of praise, a joy in blessing, a gladness in giving, just as spontaneous as was the faith of the little boy who brought those few loaves and fishes and placed them in the loving hands of the Master. Suppose this week we discard all negative approaches to people and circumstances, and for every condemnation, let's find something to praise, something to bless. For every doubt, let's find a faith. For every fear, let's have new hope. Let us sing a grand song of praise and of thanksgiving. And so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you were here today.